0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for this opportunity. Help us never become familiar with this, that we are your children, and you call us to gather together in unity as your family. And help us to be humble tonight before your word and your spirit. Help us hear the special message you have for us tonight as we know this was divinely ordained in eternity past. And Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become a man, to once and for all take our place on the cross. Help us never be familiar with this. We ask your blessing upon everything that goes on tonight. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 87. I just want to begin with a couple of comments about my role on Tuesdays, which is basically to review uh, the lessons, the recent lessons, and to complement what Pastor's been teaching and possibly give a different perspective, uh, hopefully helping some people, you know, maybe get something or whatever that just didn't hit them the first time. And uh, that's kind of what my job is here on Tuesday night. So I hope you take this uh, review session, if you will, uh, which it's largely review on Tuesdays. I hope you look at it as an opportunity to synthesize everything you've been learning, like on the previous Thursday and Sunday, for example. Because if you sit back, you know, and kind of just take it all in, uh, hopefully you'll get a better grasp of what the Spirit's trying to say to you. So, um, just a little advice on this Tuesday night class. We began on Sunday noting a seeming contradiction. The fact that we are involved in our own sanctification, but also God is the one who's at work in us. So, you know, it doesn't make total sense to our finite minds. And we must always remember God works in mysterious ways, right? According to the scriptures. So let's remember we're learning about supernatural things and processes. Things that we cannot rationally explain and are not supposed to rationally explain. Just think about that, that we are learning about supernatural things and processes. I was talking to Anthony before class, you know, before, before class tonight. We were talking about invisible things that are real, you know, and how the Internet works and how there 's something invisible taking place there to transfer email to you know go on a website and all this stuff to listen live right now to a Bible class and you, you could be in china so there 's invisible activities going on, and there 's a process there that 's happening in the sky, so to speak that we cannot visibly see it all and comprehend it all we really can 't we don 't know what 's really going on and so We know it works, we know it's happening and it's true, but we don't know the process. And so, you know, God's things are invisible. And He calls us to just trust in the process, that they are supernatural, that we don't have to see them and understand them. But they work, as we know, especially if we live by faith. So, for example, how does God... Combine his sovereignty with human free will. Because in his sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants as king. Anything he wants. And the Bible says he does whatever he wants. And he even chose us for salvation. How does that combine with us having free will? The choice to believe in him for eternal life or not? Both are clearly stated in the scriptures. But how do these things functionally work together. I mean, we cannot see that. We cannot watch that process in action. It's not visible. It's true, it's supernatural, it's happening, but we don't know exactly how it works and how those things combine. I can't grasp that fact, but I know it's true, and I know they both exist in the Scriptures. So guess what God calls us to? Anybody? Faith. Right? And humility. And by those things the Spirit can show us things as he sees fit. And that's that's my prayer, you know, quite often is Lord, just open my eyes. You know, I know I'm probably being arrogant right now, I don't even realize it. Open my eyes. Let me see your ways. And only he can do that thing for us. And he does it slowly and incrementally because. Frankly, we couldn't handle it all, and also we're too arrogant to be ready for what he wants to fully show us. So, it's one day at a time, it's one prayer at a time, but he wants us to accept the things we read in the Bible by faith and allow the Spirit to explain them in words words that aren't words, in our soul. You know how sometimes you can't explain to somebody what? What you experience or what you're thinking or what God's showing you, you can't really, you can't put it in words. And it's the same thing that you want God to do it that way for you. Otherwise, it's rationalizing. And you're involved in putting it together. But God loves to supernaturally bless us, touch us, give us glimpses and um, do things that we can't understand. He doesn't, (laughs) it's better that we don't understand, which is a different way to look at it. In a way, it's wonderful to read things in the Word of God and not fully comprehend it. It just shows more of God's majesty and wisdom, if you think about it, and how far above man He is. So we should rejoice in that when we can't fully comprehend something we're reading in the Word. You know? because he's going to show us, he's going to gradually show us more, but it shows his awesomeness. It shows how far above man he is, that we can't even get a simple parable that the Lord says. It just shows how unfathomable he is. So rejoice in that. Rejoice that you don't get it. Laugh at a parable and say, "Ah, I have no idea what he just said there, but you know what? He's going to show me something. And that's the fun of it, and that's the Um, the supernatural nature which takes us out of the way and takes credit away from us, thank God. So back to our seeming contradiction that we've been on in Philippians 2. Go to Philippians 2, verse 12 again. How God tells us to work things out, and then God says he'll work things out. A seeming contradiction, but God combines these things supernaturally. For our benefit, Philippians two twelve. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So here we see the reality of salvation, namely that it continues our whole lives, and we would call it out as sanctification. Do you remember that verse we saw last week that talked about growing in our salvation? On the board in 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Why do we have to grow in respect to salvation if we're already saved? And we are. That's sanctification. That's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a process. In God's eyes, it's already done. It's already completed. But in time, there's a process He wants us to go through where supernatural things get involved if we operate in the faith of a child. So living in our salvation or living in the gospel reality is a journey that we are all called to. And we've been given this thing called life not just so that we can be saved, but to grow in this journey and bring glory to God through the process. Maybe that's the theme of the night, the process. Things are always at work behind the scenes that you have no idea about, and I have no idea about. There's a process going on. There's, there's functionality. There's things changing that we don't see or feel, and at times we we see them, but Think about the fact that God is always working in mysterious ways. Do you think about that? Do you, um, do you think about that every day, that everything going on in your life, he's doing something mysterious behind the scenes? No, I don't. At times we recognize it because there's something funky going on in our life, right? But he's always working behind the scenes in mysterious ways for our benefit, despite us sometimes. So we've been called to this thing called life and and a journey to grow up into salvation, to God's glory. And that's the path of sanctification that we're on. We're told to work out our own salvation, as we see in this verse, in verse 12, pointing to the fact that we, as new creatures, are actively involved in that process. We are actively involved in that process. Okay, wonderful. I believe it. The Bible says it. I'm to work out something. We saw on Sunday, working out your salvation refers to your involvement in sanctification. And sanctification is salvation come alive in you, experientially. It is living in the gospel reality, it's realizing God's eternal love for you. Now, look at that word realizing, it's in the present tense. That means it's ongoing. I don't know about you, but every day I need help realizing God's eternal love for me. Because some days I don't believe it. And I actually pray, <laughs> help, me, help me understand this and believe your love. This is a process. Sanctification is salvation come alive in you. It's living in the gospel reality. It's living in that joy of your being saved from eternal death every day, living in that reality every day. And really, it's realizing God's eternal love for you and His faithfulness. So we do so with fear and trembling, in awe of and respect for all that He's done already. It's growing up in salvation. So we do play a part in our sanctification but how? Pastor mentioned this on Sunday as well regarding our role in sanctification. The key is to understand the willingness to do so. And that is a result of what God has already done in us. The key is to understand the willingness to do so as a result of what God has already done in us. By making us a new creature, God has given us everything we need to live in it. He just needs our willingness to go forward. He needs us to willingly put our pride aside and to be humble one day at a time. And here's what Pastor described as the linchpin to truly understanding experiential sanctification. And we're going to go slowly through these points because Pastor really felt strongly on Sunday that these points were crucial to understanding sanctification. So let's go through the three points we saw on Sunday morning regarding experiential sanctification. First of all, by grace, God changes us. That means it's totally a work of Him. He changes us the day we believe in Christ. By grace, he's made us new creatures in Christ. We have new natures that are perfect, therefore can only do his good will. The new us is willingly humble and supernaturally fellowships with God. How's that process work in each of us? I don't know. I bet you it's different for each of us in, a, in some ways. The new us is willingly humble and supernaturally fellowships with God, making our fruit bearing a collaborative joint labor. You, right now, are perfect. Right now. You are holy. This means you can produce divine good works that God actually accepts. And that is a mind-blower right there. But it's because He made you righteous. By grace, He changed us. And in His eyes right now, you're new. You're brand new. You're totally perfect. So if your motivation is correct, for example, you're not living or relying on the flesh, uh, you're not seeking creature credit, if your motivation is correct, then we bring glory to God with the things we do for Him. Because that's the new creature in operation. God looks at at the heart after all, right? He always looks at the heart. So if your motivation is right, you can produce good works that he is elated by and very pleased by. Why? Because you're living in the new nature, the one that's perfect. The one that can't do wrong, that can't sin. And the one that can only do uh, good and desires to do His will all the time. That's your new nature. So here we are with this ridiculous opportunity to bring God glory and actually to do good works that He accepts. So again, on the board, the first main point, by grace, God changes us. By grace, He's made us new creatures in Christ. We have new natures that are perfect, therefore can only do his goodwill. The new us is willingly humble and supernaturally fellowships with God, making our fruit bearing a collaborative joint labor. Our next major point we saw is to avoid assigning any creature credit in the production of divine good fruit in our lives. We simply refer back to Scripture, which says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. God has qualified us to work with Him in Christ. So anytime we get that temptation to take any credit, we go back to that principle. Anytime somebody compliments us, maybe with good intentions, but maybe a little too much, if you know what I mean, and looking at your flesh and saying what a good whatever, good person you are, good believer you are, good whatever faithful servant you are. When that happens, to snap back to a reality check and realize that anything good that I just did was by the grace of God. And you might need to quote this out loud to avoid the snare of falling back into the old nature. But God has qualified us to work with Him, which is ridiculous but we can, and he wants us to, in the new nature. This is how we live life in the new creature. This is how we keep the credit where it belongs. And therefore, God receives the glory in our good works. We can do this because we're new. We remember that anything good in us is from our dear Father in heaven. Everything good in us is from our dear Father in heaven. He's called us, as we know. He's changed us into new creatures. And all good things in us are from our Father above. So again, the point on the board. To avoid assigning any creature credit in the production of divine good fruit in our lives, we simply refer back to Scripture, which says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15.10 God has qualified us to work with Him in Christ. And the third point that Pastor thought was very crucial on Sunday, we are not somehow passive robots whose free will is merely an academic construct that God invented to appease our flesh's desire for independence. At salvation, He literally changed us. It's because of that grace activity that we are now able to join him in accomplishing his will in time. And we now desire obedience. The new nature always desires obedience. So again, at salvation, he literally changed us. And our free will is still involved at salvation. The reason he changed us? Because our free will said Yes. I admit I need Christ. I admit I'm a sinner, right? And so that gave God permission to change us fully. And he took that one moment of faith to to totally, totally change us, make us brand new. Talk about taking advantage of the situation, right? God's like, boy, you, you you, you, you wretched people don't realize you can't do this on your own. But I just want to see that one moment of surrendering faith from you. And if you do that, you give me permission to totally make you new. And I'm going to take it all away. And that happened the moment you first believed in Christ. And so now you're this brand new, perfect creature. And can do God's will and bring God glory. We have the power and ability by His grace to actually do things that please Him. And the new you actually desires to please the Lord and be obedient to Him out of gratitude and love for all that He's done for us. So even when you're being obedient, you can count on the fact that that's your new nature. When you have a desire to be obedient, that's the new nature. Don't start taking credit. Right? Because anything good like that, any good thought like that, has to be from the new nature. Because the flesh is so wicked. And so religious. You know, the religious side of the flesh will say it wants to be obedient. And will be obedient for sake of religion and for sake of credit. But a true desire to be obedient, that's from God. That is a gift that's part of your new nature. And so we rejoice that we have that in us now. That's another sign that you're a believer. Right? We've been talking about that. That's a fruit that you're a believer. That There's a desire in you to be obedient. Not all the time because of the flesh. But even to have that desire to be obedient to God is a wonderful sign that you have eternal life. Because that's the new nature alive in you. So, the new you desires to please the Lord and be obedient to Him. Out of appreciation and love for all He's done for us already. Why is that? Again, it's because He literally changed us. He literally made us new. We don't need to wait for heaven for that reality. It's here right now. It's true right now. The same new nature in us right now that is perfect is the same new nature that's going to live with Christ in heaven. We have it. And so we have the quest, if you will, to live in it. So again, the point on the board, we're not somehow passive robots whose free will is merely an academic construct that God invented to appease our flesh's desire for independence. At salvation, he literally changed us. It's because of this grace activity that we're now able to join him in accomplishing his will in time, and we desire obedience. So this is the foundational perspective that the Spirit's been leading up to now for months regarding sanctification. It's a foundation. These points that we just read are like the foundation. And some of it's new. It's new to me. I'm sure it's new to some of you. And we need to take the time to dwell on these points. Why did the Spirit emphasize how important these points are? Well, it's a new perspective for a lot of us. And we need to even go to the website maybe and read these three points over and over in the outline and ask the Spirit what He's saying to you personally. What does He want you to see today about this? So continuing on in Philippians 2. Are you still in Philippians 2? All right. Look at verse 12 again. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we already noted working out our salvation and how we are involved in the process. But how does this combine supernaturally with the truth in verse 13? Which says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's pretty plainly stated theology, isn't it? It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is a fact. This is a statement that this is happening in our lives, a doctrinal statement. So how does this combine with verse 12 that we are involved in the work as well? It's a picture of experiential sanctification and how it happens. Do we comprehend the process? Do we comprehend how it's working at all times, every day? We can't fully comprehend it, which is fine and which is wonderful. But this is true. And it's supernatural that we're both involved in our sanctification by grace. As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, in Philippians 2, 12, and 13... In verse 12, Scripture states that we are individually responsible via volition. We're individually responsible to God for the work we complete. And in verse 13, it reveals the supernatural nature of this calling and how it combines with God's will and work in you. So God is actively at work in you the new you. He's with you every step of the way at all times working in mysterious ways if you're a believer. Hmm. I just think about the times when we struggle and we, when we don't get it and when we're, you know, lacking faith. And it's at those times He's working some things out in our souls. Some garbage out, He's kicking it out. He's uh, letting you go through frustration for certain reasons. He's working stuff out in us all the time. Even when we're lacking faith, for example. There's a supernatural process. Why? Because if you're a believer, you have a new nature. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. And he's going to complete the sanctification one way or the other. So he's always fighting for us, if you will. He's always fighting in us even when we're not with him. Why? Because we've already surrendered. And he made us new by grace. And so now he's like at work, which is wonderful to think about when you just suck one day. I mean, you just, your perspective sucks. You're just um, not with God in your heart. Is that fair to say some days? And yet, He's he's working. He's doing stuff in you, despite you, because He's perfectly faithful and because you're a new creature. So think about this. First, God changes you, and He makes you a recipient of His grace through faith. And that is a miracle that He performed on your behalf, and it was complete and sufficient for eternal life, and He made you a perfect... Righteous new creature. Then, regarding the new you, he takes that changed vessel, even though it's still dragging around this body of death in Romans 7.24. He takes that changed vessel, and he empowers it to bear good fruit to his own glory. You see how this is all him? It's all supernatural. Our volitions involved... We're told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But do you see how the power is all from Him? He empowers us with that new creature in us to bear good good fruit to His own glory. And this fruit shows up in our lives as fruit of the Spirit, as Pastor mentioned on Sunday. So God is empowering us and that makes all this possible in our lives. His grace has given us the supernatural ability to think with Christ and to live like Christ when we're willingly humble, that is. When we boldly choose to live in the new nature that He's given us. is a daily active choice that He's looking us, looking for us to make more and more to lean towards Him, right? Instead of lean towards the selfish flesh. Again, His grace has given us the supernatural ability to think with Christ and to live like Christ when we're willingly humble and when we boldly choose to live in the new nature He's given us. Are you going to claim that new nature? Are you going to boldly say... I'm righteous. So I know that thing I just did that was ugly. I know that was my old nature. I'm righteous, and I'm going to turn back, and I'm going to use that power and gift that God gave me to bring Him glory the rest of this day and take a bold step out in faith that you are righteous. Hmm. Right? It's hard to do sometimes, especially when we fail. But that's what God's waiting for us. That That's true humility. Isn't that what we've been talking about? How humility is bold. How humility kicks self aside, right? And boldly accepts all the things that God did for us. If we made a list of all the things God did for us, things that are already done, we wouldn't have enough paper in the notebook. But we don't claim those realities every day. So he wants us to willingly be humble, and that means boldly live in the new nature. We then visited John 6.44 as a reminder that God did everything for us from beginning to end, including calling us to be a new creature. Go to John 6.44. Let's see that again. So God <laughs> unexplainably, supernaturally, did everything for us, including drawing us closer to Him and including giving us the faith to believe. How you know how that all works, you can't you can't grasp it fully. And that's good. John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. I love that ending, huh? I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, he started it. The very beginning was when he drew you, even as an unbeliever. And he's going to finish it. He's going to raise you up on the last day. And everything in between is your sanctification. You know? That he wants us to experience in time for some reason. For his glory, we know. But as believers in Christ, we are permanently adopted into God's family once for all, all because he drew us to him in the first place by grace. And as we know, we can't even take credit for having the saving faith to accept the offer. As in Ephesians 2, it's a gift also. So now God has placed us in union with Christ. He's made us a new creature. The only way he could place us in union with Christ was to make us a new creature. He couldn't place anything about our flesh in union with the perfect Son of God. So now he's placed us in union with Christ. And by the way, that means that we're one with Him. That's what union means. Unity means we're one with Him now. I mean, this is hard to believe fully. It takes faith to accept that you are this brand new creature that is perfectly righteous and in union with Jesus Christ right now. And so now we can function in a supernatural way. We can live a life in a supernatural process that is is perfect and even producing perfect good works. So go again to John chapter 15, and let's take a look at this intimate passage it's a great picture of how intimate we are with the Lord now and how we can produce perfect good works. And we're not going to read the whole chapter as we did on Sunday, but we're going to read the first half just to see this intimacy. And again, this is the Lord speaking, the same one that saved us sinners and the same one that gave us the Great Commission. John 15.1 So neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy. May be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. It's really an awesome picture of how we can produce, in verse 16, fruit that will remain. That means it's fully acceptable to God. It's perfect. It's holy. It's righteous. We can produce that. So the vine and the branches in John 15 depicts the supernaturally wrought reality that a believer's intimate relationship in and with their Savior. It's real. It's alive. There is an eternal familial relationship established between our Lord and His disciples. We're family. We're in union with Him. We're one. So it really is Christ living in you and through you. And that's why we have this intimate process. The collaborative joint mission that we can work out our salvation, and he's working in us at the same time. How? Don't worry about it. But it's happening. It's true. And we have that power and privilege and ability. So it's this relationship, this intimate relationship, that helps explain our previous passage. Go back to Philippians 2, verse 12. It's, a, it's, a, it's an apparent paradox. It's an apparent seeming contradiction. But just go with it. Go with the flow. Philippians two twelve 12-13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are so intimately tied together with the Lord right now, and it takes faith to grab it, because you can't comprehend it rationally. So much of this intimacy and the way that this combination works is so difficult to explain again and put in words. And actually the Lord, you know, He gives us a hint of how intimate this is at the end of Ephesians 5 when He says it's like a husband and wife becoming one, one flesh. And then He says he's, He's not talking about that. He's talking about Christ and the church. That's how intimately tied we are to Christ as His body. And that's why we can do supernatural good works. So again, to will and to work, God doesn't merely desire that his children do his will. He changes them so that they will to work for his good pleasure. This is one of the hallmarks of a true believer. Their new creature desires to please God. God is pulling us to him every day. He, we just read that passage, he draws us, he drew us at salvation, right? The Father drew us, and he continues to draw us closer to him. He's not pushing us to do his work, to obey his commandments. He's pulling us in all the time, even when we're fighting against him. He's pulling us in. He's drawing us closer, showing us more love, even though we reject it at times. But he's pulling us and drawing us in patience and love. And therefore, we will to please him. Gradually, over time, we will. Our desire is more and more to please him. The desires of our heart change more and more. He's bringing us to love. And therefore, the desire to be a willing, joyful servant of his. He's always working in us in this way. And if we're willingly humble, we'll start, we'll start seeing it. We'll see more and more of it. When we're arrogant, we won't. But He's always working in us this way as believers. The desires of our heart change more and more through that sanctification process. He's bringing us to love. And therefore, the desire to be a willing, joyful servant of His. And we see this from the Apostle Paul himself in Romans 7. In Romans 7, in the midst of failing, Paul expresses the desire of his new creature to please God. In the midst of failing. Where does that come from? Does that come from his guilty flesh? comes from the new nature. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I want to do. I get that right? (laughs) That can be confusing. And he goes back and forth in Romans 7, doesn't he? He says it different ways. Why does he even have that desire? Why does he have that um, spirit fighting against the flesh, right? So you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh? Because the spirit's in him. And the spirit's in you as a believer. And so if you have this desire to please God, that's a wonderful sign that the spirit's in you, and your new creature is alive and well. The heart's desire is a good indication of saving faith and of being sanctified. As Paul was sinning, doing the things he didn't want to do, where was his heart? Read Romans 7 with that question in mind. As he was doing the things he didn't want to do, where was his heart? And that's how you you see a glimpse of the new nature. Now, the Amplified translation says a mouthful in Philippians 2. So we're going to read this and and how, hopefully it will give us a a greater glimpse of how God works within us and God works with us, that whole combination of things happening. Look at Philippians 2.12 on the board and the Amplified again. So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, that is, cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling. Use serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is, strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for His good pleasure. He's always at work in us, folks. It's mysterious. He even creates the longing in us to follow Him more. Pastor also gave us his parable of the flower last week, and it reminds me that there's nothing like a simple story and analogy to relay the purity of God's grace. So we saw this again on Sunday. Just like the flower and its growth is simply accomplished through God's grace, So goes the spiritual life. Your growth is simply accomplished by God's grace. Intellectual striving is the antithesis of grace, and it leads to bondage, not clarity. Freedom is afforded to those with the faith of a child. I love that statement. Freedom is afforded to those with the faith of a child. Experiencing sanctification is afforded only to those with the faith of a child. Only. He will let us see things when we go to Him as a humble child. He won't let us see things when we're living in covert arrogance, for example, pride, stubbornness. He won't let us see because we're living in the old nature at that moment. But when we turn to the new nature, in humility, he'll let us see things. It's so simple. But we can't get out of our own way sometimes, right? We want the faith of a child, but we've got to complicate things. And we've got to over-rationalize things, and we've got to justify things. And we're just hurting ourselves. He's like, we just stop it and have the faith of a child? And let me... Open your eyes to certain things and be happy like a child. These are obviously two opposite ends of the spectrum. And God knows we're somewhere in the middle most of the time. But the more we lean towards Him in humility day by day, the more He can reveal to us. It's just like, you know, your child. If you have any children, you're only going to let them in on certain things when they come to you and say they're sorry, for example, right? When they're humble and they admit they really want it. You can tell when they don't really want to learn, right? All right, Dad, tell me. Tell me the answer. Oh, there's the attitude you're looking for, right? That, ad, that arrogance is so apparent, and you're like, no, I can't tell you. You're not ready. But when he finally gets down on his knees, at least uh, you know in his uh, demeanor, and he says, all right, Dad, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I'm, I'm an idiot. Can you tell me now? Then that humility is ready to learn. And that's what God's waiting for us every day. We're sophomores, right? We're teenagers. We're immature. But um, one day at a time, and he'll, he'll get us there. Where was I? Hold on a minute. So, uh, let's see, we've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, freedom is afforded to those with the faith of a child. Freedom, what we're all seeking, is only afforded to those with the faith of a child. That's why Jesus said the truth will set you free in John 8, 32. Here's another analogy. If you put a cape on a young child and tell him he's a superhero, guess what? He believes you. Right? He believes you. If you tell him he can fly, he believes you. Now watch out, because he might go up to the roof and try it. And you know what? How's that for faith? He believes you. He believes his Father's words. Now God is our Father, and he's perfect. He's perfect. He's not going to tell us to go fly when we can't fly. Here's the thing. He can make us fly. He does make us fly. He gives us a new nature that's perfect, perfectly righteous, that he's totally happy with. And he's like, I want you, in humility, to boldly live in that new nature. You know, live by faith. Go for it. Do good works, because if you do good works with that proper motivation, they're perfect in my eyes. He's saying, go fly, because I got your back. I got all power. I'll make it work. And how many times when you step out on faith into some arena that you don't know what the end result is going to be, does he just somehow do it and get you through it and even produce amazing results that you never would have imagined? But what did it take? It took faith. It took humility. It took the child being willing to jump off the roof and trust that God was right there. So one day at a time. But this is who he's made us to be in this world. He hasn't made us to be fearful. He's made us to live in, in this love, which is perfect. So God wants us to accept his promotion with the faith of a child. Ready to jump off the roof and fly for him to boldly live in the new creature he's given us. Now, don't go home and test God by jumping off the roof, okay? Don't take it little. That's not what his desire is for you, Todd. It's not what his desire is for us. What's his mission? The Great Commission, for example, right? Jump off the roof. Stop saying I'm not an evangelist. He calls us all to be evangelists. He calls you to your own pulpit, right? Your own circle, your own life. Knock it off. Go by faith. And live in that calling. Be willing to jump off the roof. And you'd be surprised at what the Spirit puts in your mouth. You know, there's a young lady that I'm just going to mention real quickly. I had her in prep school years and years ago, and she would not say a word she said, hi, that quiet, and that was it. She was the quietest thing. I didn't think she spoke, but she was pleasant. She was smiles. She, she had a beautiful little faith. She's now a grown woman and has done missionary work in Russia, Arab countries, Africa, and she's in her 20s, and this is the girl that wouldn't speak. But her faith bubbled up in her so much that she's moving to Egypt to be a teacher in a Muslim school for two years to teach them English and bring Christ to the Muslim children. How's that for stepping out by faith? And at Christ Saves Ministries, we have the privilege of supporting her, which is something that recently came about. But I'm reminded of how she barely spoke a word in prep school. She has no ability to speak. Guess what? The Spirit is filling her mouth because she's willing to go forward amazing what God will do if we get out of the way and boldly live in the new nature. Mm, let's see. Where do we close? Where do we close? Go back to Philippians 1.7. got a few minutes left. Let's just summarize um, where this all started, really, in Philippians 1.7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. We partake in grace when we defend and confirm the gospel as well. So all just a total privilege. So in defense and confirmation of the gospel, this sums up the nature of Paul's ministry. He fought the good fight, as in 2 Timothy 4, 7, to preserve the gospel complete and unstained. What was his good fight? It wasn't to bring people to spiritual maturity. He was fighting for the gospel constantly. Constantly. That was his whole mission. That was his whole missionary trips in the book of Acts. He was getting the gospel out there. He was defending it against attacks. And that's what he meant when he said, I fought the good fight. I didn't just sit by when someone ruined the gospel. I fought the good fight by faith. He preached by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, as the linchpin of the believer's confidence in Christ. And he just wanted others to know Christ. Just wanted others to know Christ. Sounds like simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, doesn't it? Why do we complicate things? If you have the faith of a child, what does a child want? I want to tell you the good news. Hey, let me tell you a story. I've got to tell you what happened. He just wanted others to know Christ. In all of Ephesians we see that and in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, and 2 Corinthians eleven three. I challenge you to read Ephesians 1, because the last two lessons we've read Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 2, and God's telling us to go backwards. So go to Ephesians 1. I was going to read it for you tonight, but we don't, really don't have time. And just look at grace expounded upon. Look at Paul's nature, his heart in writing this book. He's like preaching to the choir because, you know, when you preach to the choir, the choir is going to accept your message, right? That was the Ephesian church. He didn't have to defend anything. He's like, let me just tell you what you already know and let's rejoice in this wonderful grace. So I guess we'll close with this point, what Pastor Collins said on Sunday regarding Ephesians. Paul is proclaiming the virtues of the gospel on the merits of God's grace through Christ Jesus. And it's beautiful. Paul is proclaiming the virtues of the gospel. He's boasting in God on the merits of God's grace through Christ Jesus. And what do we see recently in our lessons? Tell the story when you give the gospel. Just tell the story. You know? Have fun. Relax. Tell the story of who Jesus Christ really is and His grace and see what the Spirit puts in your mouth. But this is what Paul was doing in Ephesians. And that is given like a child will give it. Let me tell you about my best friend. Let it go. So I hope you enjoy Ephesians 1, and we'll pick it up on Thursday evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your amazing grace, for being patient with us, opening our eyes, showing us your love, and pulling us more and more towards you. Father, help us have the faith of a child more and more, help us to be willingly humble, and boldly live in the new nature you've given us by grace. We ask that you bless us each as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.